The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Asian Madness Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Good day, everyone. Welcome back to the Asian Madness Podcast. Hope everyone is eating well, sleeping enough, and thriving in the year 2023, Year of the Rabbit. Thank you always for being a listener. And if you're new to the podcast, hello and welcome. I know this isn't the style everyone loves, but if you're here for some lesser-known cases, you're probably in the right place. So let's get right to it. Today's location is a bit different. As in, it's not really a country, but it's a place in the world where people have very little information about. What is the most isolated place in the world you can think of? And what do you imagine it to look like? Some might say Antarctica, because it's so far away, such a huge place, and very hard to reach. Who knows what you can find there? Or you might be thinking, isn't it possible that there is a place on Earth that no one has discovered yet? I wonder that myself. I know people have been traveling the world for years and years, but have we really seen and discovered everything out there? Today's location is a place known to man, but very little is known about it because not only is it protected by the government, it is also voluntarily isolated. That would be the North Sentinel Islands. This was a hard place to research for sure. What makes it so isolated? And what is so interesting about it? Before getting to today's main topic, which is the death of an American missionary, let's begin this episode with some background information on what this place is like, or at least what we think we know. The North Sentinel Island belongs to part of the Andaman Islands, and if there's a North, then yes, there is also a South Sentinel Island. I mentioned that this place isn't a country, as it falls under the South Andaman Administrative District which is part of the Indian Union Territory of the Andaman and Nicobar Islands. I know these places might sound extremely unfamiliar to most of you, because same. So here's a bit of word geography for you. 
Unless you want to look for it on Google Maps, then that probably works better. So think of South and Southeast Asia. Between India and Southeast Asia, you have the Bay of Bengal. And if you travel from eastern India towards Burma by sea, you will find the North Sentinel Island about two-thirds of the way. It's a small island for sure, only about 23 square miles, or 60 square kilometers. That probably doesn't mean much to normal people, so think of Singapore, a country we already know that is tiny. It's about one-twelfth the size of that. So this place is extremely isolated, and not just in theory, but also in practice. The Andaman and Nicobar Islands Protection and Aboriginal Tribes Act of 1956 made sure to put this island under protection, basically barring anyone from getting too close to the island. Not only that, the Indian Navy also actively patrols the area, making sure the island stays safe and isolated. Why? Well, the people of the island are not fond of outsiders, and if you know anything about world history, you know that not everyone wants to be colonized and forced to live a new lifestyle. Also, how many times have we heard of outsiders bringing in disease and such into a place where such disease didn't even exist in the first place? By bringing unknown pathogens into a new place, you either risk the lives of those without immunity. Or you end up having to vaccinate these people, many times against their will, and if they don't want to, then it's likely they'll end up dying. Not a great outcome. We've learned enough about those things in history class to force that onto others again. So what do we know about the island itself? As you can imagine, North Sentinel is as primitive as they come, and not in a bad way, just in a natural way. It has no harbors. So no ships or boats can dock. It's surrounded by coral reefs, and the entire island is mostly forested. A few people have made trips to the island at some point in history, and while some managed to document what they saw, not every expedition ended happily. The first sighting or mention of the island was around the year 1771, during the colonization of India. People reportedly saw a bunch of lights on the shore. But no one cared enough to get closer to investigate, which was probably safer for everyone. Later on, in the year 1867, a merchant vessel was washed ashore on the reef of the island, and while all the passengers made it to the island alive, they were attacked a few days later by the natives of the island. The captain made it out alive and was discovered by the Royal Navy, and according to his account, him and his party were attacked by naked. Short-haired and red-painted islanders with arrows. He only managed to escape by defending himself with sticks and stones. About thirteen years after this incident, a Royal Navy officer decided he wanted to befriend the fellow islanders because why not? Maybe by doing so, they could add another piece of land to their colonization collection. So he brought along a group of armed men, and as soon as they arrived. All the islanders ran away and hid, because it was either attack or hide. Maybe they didn't think they could win, so they hid. The Royal Navy officers didn't get the hint that they weren't welcomed, so they spent days searching the island, hoping to find the islanders. But everywhere they went, they found nothing—only random trees and abandoned villages. Eventually, they managed to hunt down a group of islanders and captured six people. Including an old man, 
a woman, and four kids. That sounds bad, right? It gets worse. Like I mentioned earlier, people who live in isolation tend to not do well when you introduce to them whatever disease you're immune to. So in no time, all six people got sick. The officer was shocked, and in an attempt to make things better, he sent them all back to the island, hoping they'll recover. Who knows, they could have died or maybe even spread whatever illness they had to other islanders. I know, science wasn't exactly a huge thing back then, so the ignorance can be understandable. In 1896, a convict from the Great Andaman Island made his escape and arrived in North Sentinel. He probably thought he got away with whatever terrible sentence he was undergoing, but days later, he was found dead on the island with a cut throat and multiple arrows in his body. A few years later, some more British officers, including the Royal Navy officer from years ago, decided to go back to the island, and they were not met with open arms. They ultimately concluded that the islanders, or the Sentinelese, were, quote, a tribe which slays every stranger, however inoffensive, on sight, whether a forgotten member of itself, of another Andamanese tribe, or a complete foreigner, unquote. In other words, if you're not someone they see or interact with on a daily basis, they will try to kill you with zero hesitation. Since then, multiple other groups have tried to tour the island, and they were either chased off, killed, or did not run into any islanders. It's a game of chance, or maybe the islanders would watch you from afar and gauge what kind of threat you are. If they felt like they had a chance, then maybe they would attack. If not, then they would hide. Pretty intuitive stuff. The island was officially named as a standalone group, or an isolated group in the 1911 census. The Indian government eventually began to worry about the well-being of the native Sentinelese. If people continued to try to enter the island, who knows what kind of chaos would ensue. This could mean death on either side or worse, the extinction of the native people. That's when the island was officially declared as part of India, and by doing so, they could protect the Sentinelese and also prevent outsiders from getting killed. An anthropologist named T.N. Pandit made several trips to North Sentinel between the 1960s and 1990s. Every trip made, though, had different outcomes. Sometimes they would be welcomed by the natives, sometimes they would be attacked, and sometimes they would appear friendly, and then suddenly turn on them. Communicating with them was difficult for obvious reasons, and because of how isolated they were, it was probably difficult to know their ways and what would set them off and what would come off as friendly. Like I said, it's a game of chance. Will you make a new friend, a new enemy, or get straight up killed today? Would you ever want to visit? So as you can imagine... There are way more accounts of the Sentinelese coming into contact with the outside world. But all the information documented were from the point of view of the outsiders, and not from the Sentinelese. We don't know how they live, how they really communicate, their language, or their way of life. Many have met terrible deaths on the island, and not necessarily due to their own fault. Some were on ships or boats that happened to capsize, and they got too close to the island. If the islanders didn't like you, they would attack and kill you. 
and in one instance, around the 2000s, they killed two Indian fishermen with axes and stuck their bodies on bamboo sticks facing the ocean. Pretty much the same concept as using a scarecrow in a field. It's pretty terrifying, for sure. So all that information really serves as a general insight as to who the Sentinelese are, as we know so little about them. But you probably have a basic idea as to how they operate. With all that out of the way, let's finally get to today's main case, which would be the death of a Christian missionary, John Allen Chow. Who was this man? Be warned, though, this case may bring about mixed feelings, but we will touch on that later. John Allen Chow was a shockingly young man. I say shockingly because, one, he's younger than me, and two, this case took place pretty recent. He was born in December 18, 1991, in Scottsboro, Alabama, but his family supposedly moved to Washington State later on. As you can probably guess by his name, his father was a Chinese-American man who escaped China during the Cultural Revolution, and his mother, Linda Adams, was an organizer for a Christian missionary group called Chi Alpha. John Allen had two older siblings, and as you can probably guess, he grew up very Christian. As a young boy, he was very fond of all sorts of outdoor activities and anything church-related. Hiking, camping, charity, you name it. Can you guess what type of book inspired his love for outdoor adventures? Don't know if many of you have read it, but most have probably heard of Robinson Crusoe. The basic story plot is of a guy who sails around on a ship multiple times, but each time terrible things happen. Like he gets shipwrecked during a storm, then gets taken captive by pirates, rinse and repeat. If you look past the disasters, it's mostly about being adventurous and seeing the world and meeting new people, overcoming obstacles and all that. John basically loved any type of book that depicted people living in the wild, off the grid, stories where people get stranded in the wilderness and are forced to live off whatever nature had to offer. I'm sure many of us find those stories fascinating, but no way would I want that. I like my couch too much. So that's what John wanted. He wanted new experiences, see parts of the world no one's seen, but he also wanted to add a Christian twist to it. As you'll see later on, John made sure he knew his stuff, learned everything he could to prepare himself for his future mission. So no, he wasn't like one of those Jake Paul dudes who have little knowledge about the world and only do things for the likes and views. As a child, John and his family did a lot of camping. He enjoyed playing pretend with his siblings out in the yard, and he also had a bad habit of being too experimental when it came to eating berries and random things from bushes and plants. As I've already mentioned, John and his family were extremely devout Christians. Except for his dad. I kind of get it, though. His dad is Chinese, and that's not to say he couldn't have converted to Christianity after arriving in the U.S., but he held more of a Confucian view on life. He did marry a woman of religion after all, so at the very least, he must have been accepting of religion, but probably not the biggest fan. Maybe those around him were more on the extreme end of Christianity. All I know is that John's father wasn't particularly devoted. The Chow family were members of the Assemblies of God, a Pentecostal church. 
This church apparently was also known for its members speaking in tongues. And this can come off really strange to many people. Not only did John belong to a church, he attended mostly Christian schools, both high school and university. He devoted most of his school life to joining clubs and extracurricular activities, many of them with ties to Christianity. Nothing wrong with that. I definitely have nothing against religion. I myself was brought up Christian, and my family is currently quite religious, so I like to believe I'm rather open-minded. It only gets a bit too much when people try to shove religion down other people's throats, and that really goes for anything, not just religion. During high school, John began attending mission trips to different parts of the world. Mission trips, I guess, is where religious groups travel to less developed countries or areas to kind of help them out, and at the same time spread the word of God, like teach them about God, Jesus, their sins, etc. Technically, it's not too far off from what missionaries did back in the olden days, except they no longer force or kill people into believing. John traveled far and wide as a young man, participating in various missionary trips, including trips to Mexico, South Africa, Iraqi Kurdistan, Myanmar, and Israel. All these trips left lasting impressions on him. He made new friends, found new meaning, got even more devoted to religion, and he learned that it was not easy to do missionary work, especially preaching to people outside of your culture. People with no idea as to what Christianity is will 100% have questions for you. They will argue with you. Why is your God better? Is your God even real? Prove his existence. This made him nervous, but it was a challenge he wanted to take on. As a young man who loved God, exploring, and traveling, it was only natural that he decided to become a missionary. Not only that, he had one specific place that he wanted to visit, the North Sentinel Island. Once again, I'm here to tell you about my dislike for cooking and food prepping. Unfortunately, I'm a full-grown adult, which means cooking is an essential life skill, but no one really said you have to cook from scratch and come up with amazing new dishes every single day. Imagine all the time and money lost just from doing all that. If you love it, you do you. But if you're like me, then this is for you. HelloFresh makes cooking easier by providing you recipes and fresh pre-portioned ingredients right to your door. All you have to do is read and follow a few simple steps. Every week, you get to pick from 40 recipes, and considering inflation, the cost of groceries have gone up quite a bit, so why not save money and time? March is apparently National Nutrition Month, so use this time to get your health in check by cooking out these dietitian approved meals. These HelloFresh recipes can be ready within 15 minutes, and you don't have to compromise on taste and portion. Like I mentioned, they pre-portion everything for you, so there won't be annoying leftovers to deal with. I personally am not picky when it comes to food, so time is always the determining factor for me. To be fair, I kind of make my husband do most of it because he does it better anyway, and luckily for me, he enjoys cooking. In case you didn't know, the other meal delivery service, Every Plate, is owned by HelloFresh, so both of these are great options when you're trying to save money and time. Who doesn't want that, though? 
go to HelloFresh.com slash Asian60 and use code Asian60 for 60% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash Asian60, code Asian60 for 60% off. So go ahead and try out America's number one meal kit if you want to improve your cooking skills and eat better. Ah, money. No one can live without it, unfortunately. Unless you're living in a remote, isolated area like the North Sentinel, that is. Fact is that we need money to survive in this world. I know, it sucks, but what can we do? We worry about money, about having enough of it, about making enough. And if you're in the United States, you also have to think about your credit score. It's a weird and complicated system, so this is what you can do if you're in the U.S. Chime is a financial technology company that can help you manage money you have and also help build your credit score over time. They report your payments to credit bureaus and they have reportedly helped their members increase about 30 points on average, which is a good amount. They don't charge annual fees, no need for large security deposits, and for someone who's starting out, they don't require credit checks to apply, so that's a great benefit. Start making your financial dreams a reality with Chime. Sign up takes only two minutes and does not affect your credit score. Get started at Chime.com Asian. That's Chime.com Asian. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by Stride Bank, North America, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Chime checking account and $200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply for the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. Regular on-time payment history can have a positive impact on your credit score. Impact of score may vary, and some users' scores may not improve. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply except at MoneyPass ATMs in a 7-Eleven or any AllPoint or Visa Plus Alliance ATM. John's decision solidified after graduating from Oral Roberts University, which again, is a Christian university located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. In the year 2015, John made his first trip out to the Andaman Islands, which is basically where the Sentinel Islands were, except he didn't actually go to North Sentinel. At least, not yet. That's not to say he didn't try, though. He basically asked any and every local Christian he met if they were headed out to North Sentinel Island, and everyone was like, no. Sure, they like spreading the word of God, but sometimes it's just too dangerous. If it may cost you your life, is it worth it? It is wiser to maybe stay alive and preach, and maybe not die. Between 2015 and 2016, John supposedly took four different trips to the Andaman Islands, and although he never succeeded in getting to North Sentinel, he managed to do his research for future purposes. He was outgoing and adventurous, so naturally, he made many friends and bonded with the local Christian groups. He decided he needed to do more in order to achieve his dream of getting to North Sentinel and preach. In 2017, he began this journey by attending a missionary training camp at an evangelical organization called All Nations, located in Kansas City. I looked up their website, and their mission is to, quote, see Jesus worshipped by all the peoples of the earth, unquote. They also state that one-third of the world hasn't heard of Jesus. 
I know people will have different opinions about this, and some of you listening might even be religious. Regardless of your stance in religion, though, this group does seem a bit more on the extreme side of Christianity. This organization encourages their trainees to develop a quote-unquote wartime mentality in order to, quote, make strategic decisions in the battle we're waging against a real enemy, unquote. And by real enemy, I would assume it's either those that don't believe in God or Satan himself. So what kind of training can actually prepare missionaries to go into the wild and convince people to believe in God, especially those who don't know God or even speak a common language as the missionaries? They do trainings where missionaries pretend to be hostile natives and not just pretend, but like dress their part and hold spears, bows, and arrows. Just imagining this scene in my head kind of weirds me out, because I highly doubt it is really possible to nail the part of a quote-unquote hostile native as they come in all shapes and forms. Knowing that John eventually lost his life in the mission, it kind of makes this training seem a bit naive, if you know what I mean. John was determined and devoted, though. He was even named as one of the most well-prepared and best trainees of all time by the executive leader of the program, Mary Ho. But honestly, no matter how much mock training you get, it will never really prepare you for the real wilderness and quote-unquote hostile natives that's out there. After completing this training in Kansas City, John moved on to another program at the Canada Institute of Linguistics, Doesn't sound churchy, but it's actually a missionary language school. I guess in order to travel to lesser inhabited lands, he will need to learn languages or maybe take some extra courses on communication. That's just my guess, though. At this program, John became even more religious and devoted. He told a new friend of his that he basically felt it was his duty and burden to save the Sentinelese. I know how this sounds. To religious people, it might sound impressive, brave, and full of faith. To those not religious, it can come off sounding very condescending. The Sentinelese, as you've already heard, are not fond of outsiders, and they do not want to make new friends. It's quite presumptuous to say that they need saving, and this way of thinking probably only makes sense from the point of view of those who are very religious. I don't want to go down this religion rabbit hole, so... I'm going to continue on. His friend was also Christian, so naturally he applauded John's dreams and sentiments, even though he thought that going to the North Sentinel Islands was a terrible idea. He tried talking to John about it, but John wasn't budging. He knew the risks, and he knew how people felt about his plans, but he felt like it was his calling from God. Apparently, John had his sights set on the Sentinel Islands ever since he first learned about them back in school. In other words, he spent almost the last decade of his life preparing for this moment. As another believer, his friend didn't feel like it was his place to argue with John, so once all his training was done, John began preparations to head out to sea. Note that traveling to North Sentinel was not a choice John was able to make on his own. He required approval from his missionary group, and also, well, approval from the Indian government as visiting North Sentinel without prior permission is actually illegal. Getting the okay from his missionary fellows wasn't an issue. He got counseling and lots of advice from missionary workers, 
and although it's considered a dangerous task, the missionaries were technically for it, because he was doing what their mission stated, spreading the word of God. But everyone had to be sure he was the right fit. His time at the All Nations training camp did help him prepare, though, as they had missionary workers in the Andaman Island region who coached him through everything. They basically helped him prep, telling him what to bring, how to approach the natives, and what supplies were necessary. All vital information. The only problem is that you can never fully predict human nature, especially those who live off the grid and have very little in common with you. So aside from knowing everything there is to know about God and Christianity, John made final preparations for his North Sentinel trip. He took medical training courses in order to become a wilderness-certified EMT. He got more than 10 types of vaccinations, basically against any type of disease he could possibly pass on to the Sentinelese. He prepared a bunch of gifts for the Sentinelese as well, including fish hooks, tweezers, cords, safety pins, etc. You know, useful little knickknacks. He even went as far as to get LASIK surgery. Because let's be real, wearing glasses is a huge inconvenience even when you're just sitting at home doing nothing, let alone when you're trying to navigate an island with people that might want to kill you. So moving forward, it is now October of 2018. John made his way to the capital city of the Andaman and Nicobar Islands, a city called Port Blair. He had everything he needed with him. But before he continued on his journey, there were a couple things he had to do first. One, he made sure he self-quarantined for 11 days. Now that we've been through COVID, this probably makes a lot of sense. He wanted to spread the word of God, not diseases, so this was important to him. Two, he needed to find a way to get to the island. Like I said, it's illegal to go without permission. And did he get permission? No, he did not. That's a big issue, I would say. So if I put myself in his shoes, my way of thinking would be, yes, I would be breaking the law, but for a very good reason. I could convert these Sentinelese and they could be saved from eternal damnation. Breaking the law seems totally worth it. But if I step out of his shoes, I just don't agree with breaking the law, especially another country's law. Also, that law is probably there for a reason. Like, they don't want people to get killed. But never mind all that. John managed to bribe two fishermen to take him as close to the island as possible. Aside from all the supplies he prepared, John also kept a diary with him, noting down all his thoughts. In one entry, he wrote that he considered North Sentinel to be, quote, Satan's last stronghold on earth, unquote. To us, this probably sounds a bit dramatic, like, I could definitely think of a few other places that are quite messed up. But also, it sounds condescending, if you know what I mean. So on late November 14th, or very early November 15th, the day of his trip finally rolls around, and he sets off with the two fishermen who are now 300-some dollars richer than they were yesterday. They take him close to the island, a little less than one kilometer from the North Sentinel shore. John then takes off all his clothes, probably at an attempt to look more like them and less threatening, then brings out his foldable canoe and starts paddling towards the island, only bringing essential items with him. 
There were many people standing along the coast, watching John as he approached them. He shouted at them that his name was John and that Jesus loved them. Obviously, they didn't understand a single word, and they most definitely had no idea who this Jesus dude was. He tried to show the Sentinelese the gifts he brought them, but they were not impressed. John did not get a warm welcome from the Sentinelese, so he immediately retreated back to the fishermen. He tried a few more times to approach the island, and each time he was met with different responses, but mostly hostile ones. Communication with the natives was quite impossible, so they had to rely on body language. But even then, how do you know you share the same body language? A young boy eventually shot an arrow at John, which luckily did not hit him, but instead pierced the waterproof Bible he was holding. I certainly did not know they made waterproof Bibles, but now that I know, it makes sense. So this back and forth went on for a bit where John tried different methods to approach the islanders, but then returning to the fishermen because it was not working. That night, he wrote an entry in his diary. Quote, The plan now is to rest and sleep on the boat, and in the morning, to drop me off by the cache, and then I can walk along the beach toward the same hut I've been giving gifts to. It's weird. Actually, no. It's natural. I'm scared. Unquote. Finally, on November 17, basically two days after he started his trip with the fishermen, he was determined to make this trip work. At this point, he had lost his canoe, so in his final attempt to come off more... relatable, he decided to swim to shore. He told the fishermen to leave without him, and that he will be fine. The two men were worried, but they agreed, so as soon as John left, they made their way back to the Andaman Islands. So these two fishermen shouldn't have gone against the law and taken a bribe for such a dangerous task to begin with, but it would also be incorrect to say that they were completely heartless, I guess. The following day, on November 18, they decided to go back out to the North Sentinel Island to check on John, but to their dismay, they found a group of islanders walking along the shore, and dragging behind them was the lifeless body of John Allen Chow. Well, we all knew this was going to happen. The fishermen probably knew this was going to happen. Even John kind of knew this was going to happen, but it still didn't stop him from doing what he felt was his mission in life. In a sense, that guy's brave as hell. But on the other hand, it was an incredibly naive thing to do. The fishermen returned to Port Blair and immediately informed one of John's friend, another Christian missionary, of what happened. They handed over everything that John left with them, including his personal items, clothes, and a diary that documented his thoughts. One of his entries stated, quote, You guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth to declare Jesus to these people. Unquote. And don't forget, he did declare the North Sentinel is very likely Satan's last stronghold. Quote, a place where none have heard or even had a chance to hear your name. Unquote. In one entry, he did admit that he is probably more useful to God, alive than dead, which is quite obvious, but it was his calling, so he had to risk it all. Quote, but to you, God, I give all the glory of whatever happens. Unquote. He knew this could happen, so he also asked God to forgive, quote, any of the people on this island who try to kill me. Unquote. 
I cannot imagine really blaming the Sentinelese for doing what they did. They are one of the most isolated groups of people in the world, and the government has literally granted them this right to isolation as well. They operate with their own rules. They don't care about killing those who trespass, and it is unreasonable to hold them to a standard that we are accustomed to. So John's friend is now burdened with the task of breaking the terrible news to his family. He called up his family back in the U.S., and then the Consulate General of the United States in Chennai was also notified of the situation. There was little anyone could do at this point, and it's not even like the government could do much to help. The Andaman government and the Indian authorities tried multiple times to retrieve John's body from North Sentinel, but that proved to be an impossible task. Of course, they weren't going to go on the island with guns and kill islanders just to retrieve John's body. That made no sense. News of John's death traveled pretty quickly all around the world. And this is where Survival International, an organization aimed at protecting and preserving indigenous groups, stepped in to comment. The director, Stephen Corey, stated that, quote, The risk of a deadly epidemic of flu, measles, or other outside disease is very real and increases with every contact. Mr. Chow's body should be left alone, as should the Sentinelese, unquote. What are your thoughts? If John was someone you loved, say a family member or a friend, would you agree with this statement? I think it's nice that the government and authorities did try, at the very least. But at some point, you have to realize, it's a losing battle. The killing of John Allen Chow is a bit controversial, I'd say since we, or most of us, probably know that killing is wrong. But do the same rules apply to isolated indigenous people living off the grid? The government registered a murder case against seven people who reportedly knew of John's plans and helped him get to the island, including the two fishermen and some of his missionary friends. How do you feel about that? As you can imagine, John's story brought out a lot of criticism from people all over the world, People mocked him, called him various names, referred to him as the colonizer, the disease spreader, and so on. We're not just talking atheists or other religions attacking John and his fellow missionaries. Other Christians also called out John and the organization All Nations for this. They called this whole idea very dangerous, and these missionaries who led and encouraged John down this path are just as much to blame for his death. I'm seriously trying to see it from both sides, because a big part of me thinks this was completely avoidable and that John really did not have to risk his life for this mission. But everyone around him who call him a martyr for his acts are also a bit on the extreme end. Although John does insist that this was his calling from God, I cannot help but wonder if part of it was for himself. You know how when we do nice things for others, we also feel good about it? Some people might argue that there is no such thing as a true selfless act. Part of your ego, your sense of feel-good, will always be tied to it. Some people then question if John is actually pure-hearted or simply an arrogant colonialist. Was it for his own benefit, to make a name for himself, whether dead or alive? Or was he really just worried about the Sentinelese going to hell? because they never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Sorry if I sound a bit cynical and critical, 
Also not saying we should stop being nice or do kind things for people just because it makes us feel good. What's the harm if both sides can get satisfaction? Most situations are not black and white. There's always more to it than that. But really, John did not have to lose his life like this. I really think it's a shame. As for his family, of course they were devastated to hear about John's death. They released a statement after his death stating, quote, We recently learned from an unconfirmed report that John Allen Chow was reported killed in India while reaching out to members of the Sentinelese tribe in the Andaman Islands. Words cannot express the sadness we have experienced about this report. He was a beloved son, brother, uncle, and best friend to us. To others, he was a Christian missionary, wilderness ENT, an international soccer coach, and a mountaineer. He loved God, life, helping those in need, and had nothing but love for the Sentinelese people. We forgive those reportedly responsible for his death. We also ask for the release of those friends he had in the Andaman Islands. He ventured out of his own free will, and his local contacts need not be persecuted for his own actions. Unquote. At least they acknowledged that John's death was not anybody's fault. It was his own choice. I didn't find any other quotes from his mother or siblings, but his father's reaction stood out. Although he did not appreciate people calling his son names and hating on him, he did state that the American missionary community is definitely to blame for his son's death. Quote, If you have anything positive to say to me about religion, I do not wish to see or hear it. Unquote. It's safe to assume that John's father probably now harbors some form of resentment towards religion now, or Christianity. If it wasn't for the extreme Christian views that were fed to him, would John have done this? Very hard to say, but they did encourage him, and after his death, praise him for his acts. They stated that John did not go to North Sentinel as a clueless man, or for fun. He had a vision, and he had it planned. But sometimes, plans go awry, and that's unfortunately what happened to John. Now that I got most of the information out to you, how do you feel about this case? I have to be honest here. It was very difficult for me to withhold any kind of judgment regarding this case. Unless your religious views aligned with that of all nations and John's, you probably had the same struggles as me. In a way, he's a victim. He died far from home, probably painfully, but on one hand, he died doing what he loved. If a man wants to go out on a remote area and risk getting killed while doing what he loved, who am I to say no or to judge? What does bother me about this case is more about the extreme views, that these people need Jesus, that they need saving, especially by those from the West. It's like history class all over again, where Europeans travel to other places, thinking everyone is a savage or beneath them because they do not follow the Western ways or their religion, force them to believe in God, and if they defy orders, you kill them. Obviously, things were way more violent back in the day, and John definitely did not try to harm any of the islanders. I do believe he went there with peaceful intentions, and even though his way of thinking was kind of skewed, he still did it out of love, even though we may not agree with the kind of love he had. So there you have it. The death of a young man who had devoted his whole life to preaching the word of God. What John said in his diary is true. 
he probably would have been a lot more useful alive than dead. He is passionate, dedicated, prepared, and very devout. He could have dedicated his life visiting other rural places around the world, preached the word of God, helped them out, or whatever. That would have worked too. But I guess being someone who is too determined, trying to talk him out of his dream, would not have worked. Again, I have no issues with people pursuing their dreams, doing whatever they can for whatever cause, but at some point, most people might stop and think if it's worth giving up everything for, specifically your life. More importantly, what is the message behind your actions? If you look at it through the lens of religion, I know that John probably meant well, but it does not mean you have to agree with his thinking and actions. On top of that, he was basically breaking the law by going to the North Sentinel. I don't really know what the moral of this case is. Think twice? Be careful? It's a good thing this case is not super relatable because most of us don't have the same aspirations as John, but either way, being careful probably isn't bad advice. While it's sad he had to die like this, it ultimately was his decision, and he definitely was aware of the risks that came with that. Thank you again for tuning in, and while I don't know your religion preferences and whatnot, hopefully this did not come off as insensitive or even offensive. Please take care, and as always, I will be back with another case of not-so-happy things. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.